Hi, and welcome to Highway Podcasts. My name is Jake Dodson, and I serve on staff here at the Highway Community uh, in a role called a Pastor of Missional Development and Communication. Have you ever been maybe on a camping trip or out at the beach and you have looked up into the night sky and to the curtain of stars that is there above you and seen the various points of light? Maybe as a child or at some point uh, you had a friend or a parent or, or, or someone point out to you some of the bright points in the sky and then helped you draw an imaginary line between them until an image emerged, a constellation. Around here in the Northern Hemisphere, one of the most obvious ones and the first one that I saw as a child growing up was the Little Dipper with its handle and its cup. Uh, one of the more uh, vivid ones um, uh, that I found uh, next was Orion the Hunter with his belt of three vivid stars um, in the center, and then the bow and the boots and the arm upraised. Something about constellations comes to mind when I think of calling, when I think of God's calling on my life. God's been involved um, calling me forward into new seasons, into new opportunities at many different junctures that I look back in my history, but it wasn't always clear at the time. I needed either um, distance or someone to point out to me the connecting points between two different instances or two different points in my journey or two different decisions that I needed to make. Calling becomes most clear when I look back. When I was in it, it just felt like God's invitation to take one next good step, to do one next good thing. There wasn't always even a clear hierarchy between choice A and choice B, or to go left or to go right. Sometimes they were both good, and the choice of one over the other um, felt very uh, small at the time, maybe even reversible, but then led on to new opportunities and new decisions. And looking back, I can see the nudgings and the leadings of God along the way. The constellation of my life's history starts to show. I'd like to share a few stories uh, about some of these different instances of what I would now call uh, God's call on my life. That would be the term I would use. But at the time, they were just the next good thing taking that next right step. I'd like to also caveat that, um, as my family can attest to, and is sometimes really frustrated by, uh, I have a fluid relationship with time. I've in the past called it an artistic relationship with time, but then I've kind of felt like that's not really being kind to artists. So fluid, a fluid relationship with time. Uh, it's hard for me to always move into grasping the recent history versus the long history or um, or the future needs of, of the day. I, I tend to live very much in the now. And so lifelines for me are a notepad and a list app on my phone and a timer close at hand. And I have different timers all throughout the day so I don't forget to, to pick up a child at at school maybe or at a practice or so that I'm able to uh, to make an appointment with uh, with time to spare. Um, if I didn't have a timer, I would be um, I'd be constantly scrambling. And so uh, as I look back on my history, I hope I don't conflate different years together um, 
but uh, but you'll probably not <laughs> not really know that I have. So um, I'm going to do my best to be accurate with my memories. Um, but uh, but the fluid relationship that I have with time might get in the way. Back in 2004, I had just finished a graduate program in literature. I was working at the time as an editor for a textbook company, just a, a six-month contract job. And I was trying to discern what I was supposed to do next. I had thought that I was going to be going into some form of, of higher education, um, teaching maybe even someday at the college level. Um, but through a series of events, it felt like God had been closing some of those doors. Um, and I was left wondering what was next. I uh, was participating in the church that I had uh, loved and been a part of all through college um, with the, uh, the post-college ministry, uh, playing guitar and, and singing in the music ministry as a volunteer, and, um, and, and enjoying that whole part of my life. Um, but the vocational, the work part of things um, was feeling very dry and I wasn't uh, sure what God had for me. It was a question that I was wrestling with constantly. And then uh, one day, very unexpected and not from a source that I was even uh, being open with about my, um, my questions about next steps, um, which at the time were focused mainly on the idea that I would get a teaching credential and try to figure out if I was any good at teaching middle school or high school literature and English classes. But I uh, was dropping off the day's notes because um, the internet wasn't as big of a deal. And so to, uh, to send edited textbook sheets um, back to the, um, the New York office required a Dropbox, a FedEx Dropbox, that, um, that the pages would be packaged up, dropped into the Dropbox, and then they would be taken to New York in the morning. New York would have sent um, here to the West Coast pages for the next day for us to work on. And, um, and that, was, that was the system. And so um, one of the leaders from the church that I was a part of uh, met me at the Dropbox um, and, uh, and had a question for me. And it was, um, would I be interested in stepping into uh, a one-year project where they were going to be trying to do something new, bringing um, young adults and college-age students together um, to do something new, some new worship-type service on a Sunday morning. And the invitation was to be part of this. Would I come on staff for just this focused time to be able to, to get this project up and running? And that felt like, at the time, a very simple, um, easy next step to take. I uh, did not have any expectation that it was going to last longer than one year. Because um, the idea of being able to help my church get something up off the ground and then go back to the vocation that I felt like um, God had for me, maybe, or at least exploring the academic world, um, was felt like what I ought to do. I just did that next good thing and took that next good step. And then that ended up turning into a 14-year-long a uh, process of, um, of growing in maturity, of realizing that there was um, a set of gifts that God had given to me to be able to use for the benefit and blessing of the church, to be able to use in encouraging and building up others in their faith. And I felt very much at home. 
whatever that dissonance that I had been feeling gave way to a resonance. Well, fast forward many years to sometime around 2012, 2013, and a friend of mine who had been working for a season with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship um, on a campus and had been on a college campus and had recently been to one of the conferences that InterVarsity would put on for their staff, um, gave me a, a very small book, a short little book called The Mission of Worship. Now, I had been working primarily in worship and arts, in music and in worship leading, and, um, and much of my focus in the ministry life that I was doing was about what happened on a Sunday morning inside the walls of the church. And this pamphlet, this, um, this small booklet, uh, was an encouragement about the value of that and also a challenge about the, um, the other half of ministry that happens outside the walls of the church on, on mission into the world around us. And that, in summary, if as believers we're going to be fully formed in uh, our faith, fully formed uh, as Christ was, that we are going to um, value worship as a needed thing, a, ne- a necessary thing, an intaking of breath that then we might go out into the world and exhale the blessing of God into the world around us. That there's um, almost a lung-like um, or a, a circulatory system or were a couple of the illustrations where you would um, go into the world and, and pour out for the, the goodness of God, for, pour out for the sake of, uh, of building up God's kingdom in the world, uh, of blessing those who are in need of blessing, of caring for those who are hurting, and that the exhaustion that would come from that would, would necessitate, necessitate a return to worship with your brothers and sisters on a Sunday or a Wednesday, or, or it, it didn't really prescribe where that worship or when it had to happen, but that there would be a collecting for worship and a going out in mission and a collecting for worship and a going out in mission. And this just felt so profound to me. And my heart was disquieted that my work had been so focused on just one half of that and that I felt like I needed to expand what I was doing into uh, greater and greater both acquaintance with and um, an investment in the work of local mission, of international mission, of being present in the world around us. And that felt like the next good step, the next good thing. And as I stepped further into that work, as I began to um, develop partnerships and um, and begin to pray through some of the needs that were around us in the community, um, that disquiet, that, that dissonance that I felt gave way to a sense of alignment, a sense of harmony, a sense of purpose. It was very renewing and life-giving. Looking back, I can see that it was God calling me forward into something. About four years later, I felt a, a new disquiet begin to build in my spirit. I felt a new sense of dissonance as I uh, ran into and, and began to wrestle keenly um, with the limits that I saw being placed on women in ministry in my church. 
as I begin to um, wrestle with the scriptures and what they said about men and women and the body of Christ and uh, the life of faith, um, I begin to to lean into just an intense uh, season of, of prayer and of study and of conversation, um, both with peers and with uh, other leaders in the church and with our leadership team, and um, and became more and more um, convicted that um, that either there uh, was uh, a change coming or there was um, uh, something new for me personally. Looking back, I can see that God was lifting my head to see new horizons. My convictions that there should be more freedom for women to be able to express their gifts that the limits that um, I saw placed on women around me were were not right, did not feel like I um, could resonate with them. I, I felt disquieted by them. And, um, and I uh, began to, to heed that uh, call of God to lift up my head from, from where I had been focusing and pouring into ministry and see new horizons, see what God might be leading me into. And that brought me to this church. That brought me to Highway. Coming to Highway was a step that brought into harmony the dissonance that I had been experiencing then for a number of years. I joined staff in 2019, and I felt like that was um, so clearly a taking of a next good step and doing a next good thing. There's no illusion that any of us should have that one church is going to be perfect, that one church is going to have um, everything figured out, um, including Highway. It's not a place where, um, where we both um, expect perfection or, or try to, to build perfection. Um, we recognize that we are seeking uh, Jesus and that we are each on a journey. And there is great goodness in this church, and I am very thankful to be a part of it. Um, I'm especially thankful for being able to see the gifts and the abilities of women uh, and men both set free on all of our leadership teams, both the shepherds and the staff, um, amongst our different programs, um, that there is uh, encouragement and support um, for those who have gifts to use them. I'd like to, um, to rewind just a little bit and be able to talk with you some now about uh, a journey that's, um, that's a little bit different from vocation, and that's the journey of parenting. Uh, I and my wife Sarah became parents in 2011, uh, and our family has been formed through um, a unique way. Uh, we stepped into a journey of foster parenting in 2011, and that uh, ultimately gave way to adoption. That uh, journey has been a significant part of our life and um, for the last uh, 11 years uh, has been really central to, to so much of what has gone on. Um, so many of the different uh, areas of, of growth and areas of realization that, um, that I have deep limitations have come because of this journey of parenting. Um, I do feel like I need to also take a moment to recognize the good reality of boundaries. I think every parent, at some point, as their kids begin to grow older, realizes um, that we are the 
keepers and the holders of their story, but we are not the ones who should always be telling their stories. The lives of our kids um, are theirs to share, and they get to tell their own stories in their own way. It's not for me to tell their stories for them. I also want to share this as a guidance for how to be kind to those who you may come across in your life or may already be in your circle of friends who foster or adopt. I would encourage you to be as supportive as you can be, but be gentle in the questions you ask and open-handed in the expectation for answers. Seek to be a safe and trustworthy person to carry another's story. That's so important. I will say this about my own journey as a foster parent um, and it, and in working with the foster system, and it has shown me and given me a front row seat to trauma and to the effects of trauma. What is trauma? It's a word that I think we've heard, at least I've heard, tossed around a lot lately, especially since we've all been through a pandemic, and it's been really hard. But hardship isn't the same as trauma. Trauma is an experience of having wrong done to us with intentionality by another person or by someone failing to do what they ought to have done or by tragic circumstances such as a serious illness, natural disasters, traffic accident. Trauma is those initial injuries and it is also the ongoing ramifications of those injuries. We carry in our bodies and in our minds, the marks and impacts of trauma. And it is a long journey of healing that needs to take place. And so for me and for every foster parent, the journey is one of taking on another person's woundedness. Foster care and adoption is not the only place where this is true. Trauma is in the lives of refugees fleeing violence carrying in their bodies the victimization that they have experienced and the lack of agency that they have over their lives. It's present in the bodies of those and in the lives of those who are living in tents or in cars around our city, clinging to this last rung of society, trying to hold body and spirit together a little longer. It's in the burdens of those in our community struggling with mental illness, suffering with hidden pain. as at domestic violence shelters. It's trembling in front of nurses as they administer rape kits. And maybe it's among these places. Maybe it's alongside some of these people that you might be called to go. A verse from Romans 12 stands out here. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. As we journey with those who have been wounded in the world, as we cry tears along with them, we participate in some mysterious way with God in the healing of the world. Now, we are not saviors ourselves. What can we do with the pain of the world? And more specifically, what do we do when that pain leads to literal sleepless nights? When it starts to cause inflammation in our joints? When there is a heartache that just can't be shaken off after we bear or as we bear burdens with a wounded brother or a hurting sister. Where can we go with suffering that we've just witnessed? 
and now carry. Because this is a hard reality here. Pain has to go somewhere. Woundedness has to go somewhere. Now, if it's passed on, it leads to new destruction through that person that received it, even through us. If it's held inside, it leads to a consuming of the person holding it. So what are we supposed to do then? There is this verse in scripture that resonates so strongly with me these days. And it is, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus speaking. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you've taken that next good step in your calling, and it has led you to a place where you are helping to bear the wounds of another, I'd like to invite you to this. Take that burden to the cross of Jesus Christ. Take it to the wounded Savior. I've been thinking about how Jesus is described in Hebrews 12, about his relationship with suffering. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our Lord is acquainted with griefs. Jesus came into the brokenness and the suffering of human people. He witnessed those who were hungry and fed them. He healed the sick and the hurting. And Jesus cried. Jesus wept tears over the people of Jerusalem as he walked toward it one last time. Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. Jesus' sweat poured out like drops of blood as he prayed in Gethsemane for the cup of suffering to pass. And it did not pass. Jesus was disfigured in crucifixion and bears on his body the marks of his suffering. There is no way around trauma. There is no way around woundedness. There is only an invitation to journey through it because of the joy that is set before And we might carry a few scars as we bear those burdens. We might carry marks of suffering on our bodies, but we have a joy set before us as well. We have a wounded Savior who shoulders all of it, who took on all of it. On him, on his spirit, on his body, the hurting, abusive, broken world did its worst. And for the joy set before him, he took it all. And did something that I can't do and that you cannot do, that no one else can. Jesus took that pain and he ended it. The destructive power of pain is swallowed up in the love and the joy of our wounded Jesus. It's been a constellation of events that have shaped my calling. That have brought me to this church and that have led me into the family life that I love. But it is the wounded Jesus that I need more than anything because it is Jesus who heals. The wounded Jesus is the Jesus who heals. Hold that for a moment. 
as you consider where you are called, what that next good step is, what that next good thing to do is. Even if that brings you to areas or alongside people who are wounded, even if you are carrying wounds yourself, let's walk together with those to the cross of Jesus Christ where the wounded Jesus offers us true rest for our souls. Amen. Amen.